Turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Coming weeks, we're going to kind of look a little more detailed at the virgin birth of Christ as we enter into the Christmas season. Draw your trees. I don't think we've had a tree for three years now because we're not here for Christmas. So here we saved 100 bucks or 80 bucks or whatever it is to go buy a tree. And, We'll go up and uh, use Crystal's tree. So that's what we've been doing. But we do have lots of decorations, so let your heart not be troubled. Matthew chapter 1 uh, deals with uh, the virgin birth of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I just want to follow along as I read verses 18 to uh, 25 for us this morning. And uh, last time we spoke on this, we looked at, at Joseph and what a uh, obedient heart he had to the things that God had before him. And kind of look at this a little different this morning. Uh, Matthew 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her until he had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. If you turn over a couple chapters toward the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus asked the Pharisees a certain question. If you look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, this question has been asked in every generation since this time. In verse 41 it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, and here's what he said, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? That's the question that's before us this morning. That's the question to every age, to every person. Whose son is he? Whose son is the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, you see back in that culture, the, 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 the Jews um, believed that the promised Messiah would be the son of David. They believed that. They knew that to be true. They believed that, believed that from a human standpoint, that he would come through the line of David. And that's what we looked at as we looked at the first chapter of Matthew 1 through 24, that, that, or 1 through 17, that genealogy showed us how the Messiah clearly was 
the son of David, without a doubt. And we also talked about how a lot of the records have been destroyed since this time, so no one coming on the front today could stand up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, because there'd be no way to prove it. There's no lineage records there. They said that he was the son of David, but they stopped there. They stopped short. For the most part, they did not understand that God would be, that the Messiah would be God in human flesh. That was a hard thing for them to comprehend. Um, there's some that actually believe that. Obviously, we, we see that. But the most, for the most part, the Jewish people at the time seemed to be convinced that the king, the Messiah, that they were going to gain would be the seed of David. That's fine. And from a human standpoint, from a, a human being, in every sense of the royal lineage, that's, that's what he would be. And when Jesus, you remember the reaction when Jesus claimed to be both the son of David and the son of God. Remember that? What was the reaction? They accused him of what? Blasphemy. They thought, this can't be. It blew their mind. Listen to what this guy is saying. They expected him to be of the royal line of David, but somehow they missed him being deity in human flesh. They missed the whole point. It went right over their head. And you know what? Even today, in our culture, people are denying that. They're willing to let Jesus be some great teacher, or even from the seed of David and all that. They, they're, they're fine with that. He's a good man. He'll, that's fine. All that stuff's good. But when you begin to say, that, oh no, he was God. He was the Son of God. And more than that, when you say that he's the only way to the Father, people don't embrace that truth today. They're not anxious for him to be deity, God in human flesh. It's all right if he just wants to be the son of David or you know, some good teacher or something like that. But you know, more than that, um, it's hard for people to swallow. You know, we sing a, a hymn at Christmas time. And you know this, I'll just read it for you. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail, the incarnate deity, pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. There's people that sing that all over the place. It's sung in malls. It's sung everywhere. But I don't think they stop and ponder what they're singing. Because they clearly don't believe it. That, that carol is built around the theme that, you know what? Christ is God. Jesus is God. But so many people fail, fall short of understanding the truth, the reality of that truth. One commentator had some statistics that he had listed. And I'm always leery of statistics, but I'll share these with you anyway some time ago. But they took a poll of, of students in Protestant seminaries. Not just any run of them, but just Protestant seminaries. 
And here's what they found out. 56% of those students studying for the ministry rejected the idea of the virgin birth. 56%. Now, once again, I don't know what seminaries they, they polled or anything, but still, that's just a staggering, a staggering uh, statistic. But, you know, that's the modern liberalism that we live in. The, the, the research center at the University of California, Berkeley, polled denominations to get their view of the virgin birth. Here's what they found out. 69% of American Baptists believe in the virgin birth. These have probably uh, gone down since then. 66% of Lutherans believe in it. 57% of United Presbyterians. 39% of Episcopalians. 34% of Methodists. And 21% of Congregationalists. I need to pray for our folks at the end of the cultazac here. They don't believe, that's, you know, that's a, a greater percentage of these folks do not believe in the virgin birth. Um, it seems that if they wouldn't embrace the virgin birth, then they're not going to embrace that Jesus is the only way. That's pretty clear. But you know what? Over in Romans chapter 3, Paul says we shouldn't be surprised at this. This shouldn't catch us off guard. In Romans chapter 3, verse 3, He says, for what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Even though they don't believe, it doesn't change the facts. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. So you don't ever want to base your theology on what's popular for the given moment. You know, I've, I've seen some pastors and ministers that, that get in the, in the spotlight and maybe they're asked a kind of a tough question. It's not a tough question. The answer is rather obvious. But on Larry King and other places. And uh, if they were to give the answer that's the right answer, they might limit their, their audience a little bit and offend some people. And so they do this little dance. You know, they begin to kind of, you know, kind of take the truth and water it down and well you know I'm not saying that, that you know I'm sure that, that Muslims and what they believe I'm sure they're well-meaning and God would you know understand where the country you know, and they start into this whole thing and it's a slippery slope when you start that because there's, where are you going to stop and see we have to stop and we have to realize that you know what the virgin birth is really the foundation of our Christianity if Christ was not born of a virgin we don't have anywhere else to go, beloved. Then that throws into question his whole ministry, his whole life, what he claimed to be true. Dr. Walbert of Dallas Theolog Theological Seminary said this once. He said, The incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. Upon it, the whole superstructure of Christian theology depends. In other words, if you take away the virgin birth, we don't have anything. Literally, we don't have anything to stand on. The whole essence of Christianity is built upon the fact that Jesus is God in human flesh. Something that is made very clear by the birth of Christ. 
the, the virgin birth is essential to doctrine. It's not one of these doctrines that you say, well, let's just agree to disagree. No. You can't agree to disagree on this one. If Jesus had a human father, then the Bible's untrustworthy because the Bible claims that he didn't have a human father. And if Jesus was simply born of human parents, there's no way to describe the reason for his supernatural life. His virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, his second coming. See, it's all a package. You can't pick and choose from these things. You can't isolate one truth and say, well, I'm not going to believe this, but I'm going to believe this. It doesn't work that way. You must believe it all or none of the realities ring true. So whose son is he? That's what Jesus asked the Pharisees. Whose son is he? Well, he's the son of David in humanity, as pointed out in the, in the genealogy, but he's the son of God in deity. And both of those are essential to our understanding of who Jesus is. See, Jesus is God in a human body. Remember, I was at a youth conference one time, and one of the guys said, Jesus is, is God in a bod. That sounds kind of demeaning, but it's true. Jesus is God in a bod. He's, he's, he's humanly through the lineage of David, and he has the right to rule the world. From the standpoint of deity, he claims the very essence of the nature of God by having been born without a human father through the agency of the Spirit of God himself. So Matthew, in writing this, remember he's writing this mainly to Jewish readers, to a Jewish audience. And he squarely, uh, just bluntly squares off with his Jewish audience and right in the beginning of the, 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 the gospel, in chapter 1, he points out, look, he is David's son by lineage, but he's also God's son because he was born of a virgin. The genealogy were all that could be said. That's all that we, we had with reference to his deity, to his identity. Then Christ would have had the legal right to be the king. But he could never have redeemed man. Never. He could have never conquered death, sin, Satan, and hell. See, to accomplish something like that, he had to be 100% man, 100% God. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, over the years, we've, we've seen where people you know, demean that. And you know, I heard somebody say the other day, they were talking about some town that had a nativity, and they were putting up a fight, and they didn't want it, and... Somebody was saying, you know, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about this nativity? Who cares? Well, beloved, we should care. Because within the nativity lies the, the very essence of truth that, that our Christianity is built on. That Christ was born of a virgin. And that flies in the face of so many people today that, that, that don't want to hold to that fact that, that Jesus is God. You stop and you think, over the years, there's been a lot of different, um, you might call them unusual births. You know, you have quintuplets and all these different things going on. But there's never been a woman who's given birth to a baby who was a virgin. 
Only one. There's been a lot of different counterfeits. There's been a lot of things that kind of come up and people that, that don't want to, you know, believe this. And, and a lot of those, those beliefs and everything, a lot of people believe that Matthew was just writing, you know, an apology. And there was a lot of myths around at the time when he wrote of, of, of babies being born of a virgin, which there was, and even in the pagan religions. There was a legend that Alexander the Great uh, was virgin born. So these things were, were, were floating around. And I'm just here to tell you, well, why do you think those, those myths floated around? Well, simply because Satan is a mark. <laughs> He's a counterfeit. He wants to take a truth that's, that's instrumental and, and basic and foundational to our Christian belief, and he wants to distort it somehow. So he wants us to believe that, well, Matthew just got this idea from all these other people that had this virgin birth thing, and he just made it up you know, out of the, out of the blue. Well, we know that not to be true. But there wasn't a lot of talk about the Messiah being virgin-born in that time. Because it was somewhat kind of closed in in the Old Testament. Appearing in some places like Matthew 7, 14, Jeremiah 31, 22. There was also evidence that the Messiah would be God. But it was somewhat veiled. It wasn't real clear. And it wasn't really clear until the New Testament came along and had the full mystery of godliness revealed to us. God being manifest in the flesh. And when you take the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's very clear that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Well, as we look at verse 18 of chapter 1 in Matthew, I mean, this is an incredible miracle. This isn't something that we should just sing a Christmas carol about and forget and, and you know, someone brings up the virgin birth, oh, it's no big deal, believe what you want. Um, we've, we've read this story so many times and we've heard it over and over and over, it's been ingrained in our minds, Jesus was born of a virgin, yeah, 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 so what? But it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, meaning sexual relationships, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Here Matthew tells us that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting in this verse, that word birth, it's the very same term in the original language as the word translated genealogy. Same word. Back in verse 1 of chapter 1, the book of the genealogy, same word. Now the birth of Christ, same word. 1.1 one, one says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We went over that. That's the human side. That's the human perspective. And then you get the divine side in verse 18. Now the birth or the genealogy of Jesus Christ was in this way. And then it follows the statement about Jesus being conceived of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew 1 presents two sides of the same genealogy of Jesus Christ. One from a human perspective, the son of David, and one from a divine perspective, he was the son of God. Interesting. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was in this way, when as his mother Mary, a couple weeks ago we did a little study on Mary and Mary worship more 
particular and, and also how God's grace was filled throughout this genealogy. But what do we know about Mary? We don't know much about her, to be honest. Um, if you turn over to John chapter 19, there's a couple of verses there I think I wrote down for you. You can turn to those. John 19, 25. It says in 1925, speaking at the, at the cross of Christ, now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. See, within her immediate family, we know that Mary had a sister who apparently was also named Mary, which wasn't uncommon during that day. <laughs> you think that's kind of weird, but who was it? Somebody named all their kids the same, I forget. Uh, one of those movie stars. They named them all John or whatever. George Foreman. Yeah, that's who it was. I thought, well, it's kind of weird, you know. But whatever. Teach us on. Um, you know, but it wasn't an uncommon practice back then. If we did it today, it'd be a little weird. But back then, it wasn't a big deal. Well, so we we understand that she had a sister. Also, over in, in Luke chapter one, verse thirty-six, when the angel speaking to Mary. In verse, uh, beginning of verse 36 there, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and now is in the sixth month of her, uh, of who was called barren. So she is also conceived. So here we see Mary had a sister, and behold, your cousin. Well, who was her son? John the Baptist, right? Uh, and so besides evidence of Mary's sister, we also learn that she had a cousin named Elizabeth. And if you turn over a couple pages in Luke 3.23, if we assume that, that Luke is, is uh, the, the genealogy of Luke here is, is of Mary, in, in Luke 3.23, it gives us her father's name. It says, now Jesus himself began his ministry about 30 years of age, being as it was uh, supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. And so apparently, uh, her father's name was that. That's how they would, would kind of trace the genealogy. So it's kind of interesting. That's about all we know about Mary. That's it. Not a whole lot more. So that's kind of a little bit about her identity. Well, what about her integrity? Uh, you know, her life... Was, was spent in Nazareth. She was probably poor. She was probably hardworking. She was obviously a righteous woman. Um, uh, you know, if, if you want to do a, a good character study of Mary, look at uh, Luke 1. You have a parallel account of the, the birth of Christ. And in verse 35 of Luke 1, it says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And then we see Mary's response to this announcement. Here's what's going to happen, Mary. Well, we see that she submits herself to the Word of God, to the announcement. In verse 45, it says, And Mary said... Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. 
In other words, you know what, I may not understand this, but God, this is what you said is going to happen, and hey, let's, let's go for this ride together. And about Mary, Elizabeth said in verse 45, And blessed is she that believed. So she submitted herself. I mean, ladies, just think about it for a second. What if, what if you were engaged to be married, and, and all of a sudden you, know, you, you found yourself pregnant, and, and you know, it wasn't your, your husband or your husband-to-be? I mean, what an awkward situation. Think of all the emotions involved in that. And you didn't do anything wrong. You're just being used of God. Amazing. We also find out that she had faith in the promise of God. I mean, if an angel visited you and said, and you were a virgin and said, hey, you know what, there's going to be a, a baby, the Son of God's going to be born to you. <laughs> what would your response be? What? <laughs> I mean, what would it be? What would you have said? Would it be simply, you know what, be it unto you as, as God has written? As God has said, that's fine. I think most women today would you know, turn to Joseph and say, look, I, you know, <laughs> I had this, I don't know what I ate, but I had a really weird dream, and I think I need to go see a counselor or something, because, you know, uh, there's something wrong. But the great faith that Mary had, I mean, it's just amazing. It doesn't even question it. It's, it's characteristic of a righteous person. It's characteristic of someone who puts their faith, their trust in God. See, that's what gets us through those, those bumps in life and those valleys in life, is being able to, to, to totally realize that, you know what, God is in control, we're not. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen today. You can go home and on your answer machine could be horrific news. Well, what's your response to that going to be? Are you going to shake your fist at God and get angry and get mad? Say, how dare you? Are you going to say, God, you know what? I don't understand this. This doesn't feel too good. This, is, this kind of hurts. But you know what? We've got to walk with, through this together. That's what Mary did. She embraced this news. She had great faith. She submitted herself to the authority of God's Word. And she lived... By faith in that word. You see her faith evidenced. It's, it's, it's real. You know, sometimes we can cloak our, our faith, faith in kind of this, this fake facade. But you don't really see somebody's faith until they're really going through a hard time. They're really going through a trial. You know, the, the, the thumb screws are just turned way up. <laughs> What's their faith like that? Do they get bitter and angry? Or do they realize that somehow this, this trial, this whatever we're in for here, is, is, is from God? And somehow, He's going to get us through it. She accepted it. Even though it made no sense to her at all. You know, there's no thing that she could point to and say, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so. This happened to so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, she had, she had a child and she was a virgin, so that's okay. It happened. This is brand new. But she accepted it. And look in, in Luke 1, verses 46 to 49, her, her, her response to this. It's just amazing.
Verily said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She's not saying I am blessed. She's just saying, you know what, they're going to call me blessed. She's not speaking out of pride here. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see where the focus is? You see where the light shines? It's not on Mary. Mary isn't standing up saying, hey, worship me. I'm going to have a son of a virgin. That's one thing. I mean, that could be a circus show on and on, you know, all by itself. But it's going to be the Son of God. I'm going to give birth to the Messiah. God had to be very particular who he picked to do that, that job, to fulfill that. And he knew that Mary's spirit was humbled, that, that Mary would say yes to such a task. What a godly woman. There's no misgiving in her mind. There's no doubt. Only in, almost an instant submission to God. Wouldn't you love to live your life that way? Wouldn't you love just to wake up one day and God says, Okay, Steve, here's what we got on the agenda today. Boom, boom, boom. These three things. Now go do them. Yes, Lord. Fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm more apt to look at the list and go, wait, 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 you're on three. I'm still on one. Okay, what, what is this? You want me to do what? I can't do this. And all of a sudden we find ourselves like Moses, standing before God, giving excuse after excuse, mumbling and bumbling. And God's just saying, look, just trust me through this. Just trust me through this. This righteous lady was a true Old Testament saint. And she, she understood, she perceived God's truth spoken. And she praised God for what he was going to do. It's interesting because her name in, in Greek is Mariam. M-A-R-I-A-M. You know what it means? It means rebelliousness. She was badly named, this poor lady. <laughs> because she wasn't rebellious at all from what we can tell. She just embraced it. And she went on, began this journey with God. And that's Mary. Well, who's her groom? What do we know about him? Mary was espoused or betrothed to Joseph before they came together. We, once again, we know very little about these people. Now, if I was God and I was going to have my son be born to a couple, it wouldn't be a bunch of no-names from some little piddly town somewhere. You know, I mean, wouldn't you want to do it right? You know, I have a, you know, royalty or whatever. You know, they're going to be, you know, just... That's, that's what I would do. But that wasn't God's purpose. God didn't want the focus to be on that. All throughout Christ's life, He lived a life of humility. He lived a life of humble servanthood. And yet God worked mightily in the lives of those he came in contact with. His word, his name, Joseph, can be described as carpenter or mason, which is kind of interesting. Maybe he did both of those things. He built houses. Uh, he was undoubtedly a poor man. He was probably hardworking. Uh, in verse 19... It identifies him as being a righteous man. He was a godly man. And like 
like Mary, he was obviously a true Old Testament saint. Well, Mary and Joseph were probably pretty young at this point. Most, most, this is what blows my mind. Most commentators, most scholars believe that they were probably in their teens. In their teenage years. I mean, what teenagers around today do you know that would just willingly just say, okay, yeah, let's, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have a baby, I'm going to be a virgin, okay. I mean, it's amazing the faith that these two folks had. Well, it says that they were betrothed to one another. They were kind of like our modern engagement period. Um, you know, it's not like Mary had Joseph's letter jacket on and his class ring hanging around her neck or whatever. You know, sometimes that's, you know, high school, that's what we used to do. But, you know, it wasn't that way. I mean, they had a cultural background that went along with this. And, and the first stage of this, this period, this, this engagement period, you can look it up in Deuteronomy 27. But there was, there, was a, there was a point in time that if after two families or individuals had drawn up a binding contract promising marriage, and during that period somebody violated one of the, one of the uh, issues in the contract, then an official divorce could take place. And this betroth betrothed couple was consti constituted as legally married even though there was no physical relationship at all. And this period usually would last about 12 months. And it kind of served as a protection for the would-be husband and wife. So each partner's fidelity could be established. And if the girl became pregnant through being unfaithful, um, you know, that just throws a wrench in everything, obviously, as you can understand. So the period here, the, the engagement period, is primarily a, a promise or a contract. And then at the end of that time, when the first stage was kind of completed, there was an actual uh, wedding. And back then, the weddings would last seven days. That just blows my mind. Can you imagine that, guys? Seven days? Do you remember what it was like to plan a one-day wedding? Can you imagine planning a seven-day wedding? I can't. Just, you know, that's what happened in, in, in Canaan. Remember the the the, uh, the wedding they had. And so the daughter was given away in marriage and the father expected payment in exchange for that. And that's how they, you know, it might be a couple dozen sheep or a lame chicken who, you know, depends, you know, I guess, <laughs> who's getting married. Um, some might say, you can have her for nothing, I don't know, but, you know, just get her out of the house. Uh, but that's what they do. They kind of, you know, barter back and forth. And, and the, the use of the words husband and wife in reference to, to jo Joseph and, and Mary, it, it basically validates their engagement period. That their marriage uh, had actually, uh, you know, the, the, the engagement period was done. They haven't really consummated the marriage yet. In verse 25 there it says, And he knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And also in verse 18 it says, before they came together. In other words, it was this period of time that Mary was made 
to be with child of the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine, um, as this got out, uh, kind of some of the shame that might be involved because people are not going to you know, believe this story. I mean, would you believe it? <laughs> if, 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 if you knew a, a virgin gal and she was getting married and she's saying, you know, I'm pregnant, and, you know, but I haven't had any sexual relations. Okay, yeah, sure, that's a new one. Um, we'd have a hard time swallowing that. Well, it says in verse 18 that she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you turn over to Luke chapter 1, we see this revelation that's being made to Mary. In, in verse 26 and 29, it says, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will, con you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. I mean, can you imagine your reaction to such an unusual event? Mary was just a simple girl and, you know, she wasn't probably very sophisticated in, in all that stuff. And all of a sudden, here's this glorious angel standing and you, you hear this voice and you're, you're, you're wow, you know, Yahweh, basically, the hero of Yahweh appeared to Mary. And saying, she's probably thinking, why, why me? What's going on here? says, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob and over his kingdom, and shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Practical question, right? She affirms her virginity right here. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. I mean, talk about a birth announcement. I mean, a little rinky-dinky place called Nazareth, and here's Mary. She's going to have the Son of God. So when Mary became pregnant... She knew why. She had the whole picture here painted for her. Poor Joseph didn't know why because the angel hadn't appeared to him yet. So what's his response? I mean, his response is, is very biblical in a way. When he found out, he was shocked, first of all. Because he knew probably Mary. He knew the quality of her character. He's thinking, man, this can't be. I thought she was the one. And infidelity, any kind of infidelity, was totally out of character for her, probably. Obviously. It made no sense at all to him. He was shocked. Because he knew in Deuteronomy 22 that he says, says basically, if a woman became pregnant with a child outside of wedlock, the punishment is death. That's the punishment. 
So he's thinking then, you know, not only am I not going to marry this person, but she's going to die. So understanding the, what the Old Testament demanded of Mary's death, because if this is what happened, she would be guilty, obviously. He was probably rocked to the, to, to the core of his heart. And then you stop and you think of the reaction of the people. I mean, can you imagine trying to explain? Well, yeah, well, no, the Holy Spirit. I'm conceived of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the, the people wouldn't get that. They'd say, yeah, yeah, right. You're just trying to cover it up. What are you talking about? People do that all the time. There's a lot of suspicion involved here. Well, the Holy Spirit was responsible for that conception, as the angel said. I mean, it's nothing new for the Holy Spirit to do this. He, he's, he's common in creation, right? In Genesis 1-2, he is identified as the one who actually carried out the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Acts 2, he's, he's moved upon the believers, gathered in the upper room and created the church. So why wouldn't he be able to create this marvelous miracle of the virgin birth? I mean, it'd be shocking, but unexpected, but he could do it. And also, the, the Spirit in Genesis 3.15, it says, The Lord was cursing Satan behind the serpent, for having cursed Adam and Eve to fall. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Basically, he said, You know what, Satan? One day there's going to come a woman, and this woman's going to have a child. And you might wound him at Calvary, but that child will inflict you with a mortal wound. You notice that this promised individual would be the seed of a woman. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. See, so you remember that because Christ was made of a woman, the virgin birth was able to bypass that curse that we talked about in, in the genealogy, the curse of Jeconiah. Circumvented that. And yet he was still legally Joseph's son. See, if, if Jesus had no human parents, he wouldn't have been a man. <laughs> Partaking of our flesh, he would have lacked compassion on our, on, our, on our humanness. On the other hand, if Jesus had two human parents, he couldn't have avoided the contamination of humanity. So he had to be the child of a man, and yet the child of God. And that's exactly what he was. He was born of a sinner, and yet he was still sinless, because he was equally born of God. And what happened in that is, is, is deity canceled out humanity's curse. The water of the nature of God drowned out the fire of the nature of man. That's why the virgin birth is so important. Because it, it basically underlies everything that we believe, everything we hold on to. And I think practically, when we hear this story, we read this story, and we look at it, and we say, yeah, okay, we, we know all about it. You know, we've heard it, recited, read it, you know, read it last night at the Christmas dinner. 
We hear it all the time. And sometimes our ears become dull to what a miracle this was. What incredible faith Joseph and Mary must have had in God to be able to carry out what God had set before him without question. Think about that. The next time God puts something in front of you and says, you know what? You're not going to like this, but you're going to have to walk through this. And I want you to believe that and understand that God is with you each step of the way. God never sends us somewhere that he's unwilling to go with us. Because we're his children. We're his children. We would never say to one of our kids, hey, you know what, just go out and play on the freeway. Well, you may say that, but you don't mean it, you know. But it's important to understand that you would never allow a child to go out and play on the freeway. The only way that that child would ever, ever cross that freeway, which is very dangerous, would be if maybe you had him in your hands or you were holding on to him and you were trying to somehow get across that freeway and you knew the only way out of the situation was to do that. You wouldn't just send a kid out there. Well, let's see if the cars stop for him first. And then, No. You would hold him as tight as you could and, and, and break through that barrier, whatever it is. Well, that's what God does with us. He wants us to hold on to him no matter what and be obedient to his word, be in submission to his word. Live out our Christianity day by day by faith in the Son of God who loved us, gave himself for us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. and Lord, we thank you that Mary and Joseph were so obedient, so simply obedient, almost childlike in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of faith. Lord, that you would give us that spirit of obedience. Lord, so many times you set something before us and the first words out of our mouth are not, yes, Lord, it's, hey, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm not gifted in this way, whatever it might be. Lord, you, you called us to be your own and you've given us the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that conceived Christ in Mary. It resides within us. Lord, there's nothing on a day-to-day -day basis that we cannot go through. It may be hard. I'm not saying it's easy, because it's not. It'd be naive to say that. But Lord, we understand the truth of why you sent your Son. John 3 says, For you sent your son into the world, not to condemn us, <laughs> not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Lord, you sent us a Savior. Father, I pray for anybody here this morning that if they have yet to put their faith, their trust in Jesus the Savior, I pray that they would cry out to him this morning. That they would repent of their sins. That they would come to you on bended knee. And embrace Jesus the Savior. Because if we don't come to Jesus as Savior, one day we will stand before Him. But He won't be our Savior, He'll be our judge. And He will find all who stand before Him guilty as charged. Because we've all sinned in a myriad of ways. We've all fall short of your glory, the Word says. And Lord, we pray that you would do that work in our hearts to strengthen our faith.
cry out to you, maybe for the first time here this morning. Save me, God. I need your help. Maybe for Christians, give me that courage that it takes to share the gospel with those around me. To reach out to my neighbors, my friends, who have yet to hear. Help me to live for you at work, in my family, in my recreation time. Lord, I pray that we would be believers who want to be obedient to you 24-7, not just on Sundays. Give us that, that spirit of obedience and faith that Mary and Joseph had. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.